0: Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi in Washington. Today is Friday, April the 15th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. As rescue efforts continue in South Africa's battered KwaZulu-Natal province, President Sarah Ramaphosa has promised massive aid from the government.
1: Right now the rain starts and I'm looking up and I'm worried because in the community where I am, two informal settlements were washed away and... People lost everything. People have no hope. So I understand the frustration and the anger that
0: people have. And Rwanda kicks off the three-month commemoration period of the 1994 genocide that was perpetrated against the Tutsi, commonly known as Kwiwuka, or Remembrance.
2: Ever since the COVID-19 pandemic started, this has been the first Kivuka for Rwandans to have uh, physical gatherings. It definitely means a lot for Rwandans to come together and grieve together.
0: And the United Nations Refugee Agency and the government of Liberia will seize support to Ivorian refugees in Liberia at the end of June this year. We'll have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Debrek Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, as rescue efforts continue in South Africa's battered KwaZulu-Natal province, President Cyril Ramaphosa has promised massive aid from government, but some of those displaced by the floods and some civil society organizations say that his government is partly responsible for the scale of the disaster. Darren Teller has more. President Ramaphosa visited flooded areas yesterday. Speaking
3: on national TV... He said his administration would do anything required to deal with what he called one of the worst tragedies ever in KwaZulu-Natal.
4: We are dealing with a calamity of enormous proportions here, but our government is getting into gear. The defense force is also going to be here. We're going to roll out as much support and assistance to our people as we possibly can. And this calls for working together as a government all departments. And the wonderful thing
3: is that... Record-breaking rains, by some measures the worst in at least 60 years, have swamped KwaZulu-Natal, washing away homes, roads and businesses. Some areas recorded more than 450 millimeters of rain in the past few days. One of the aid organizations the state's working with is Docimos Ministries International. Spokesman Justin Naidu says it's doing all it can to prepare for the next few days with a weather service predicting more rain.
2: We are trying to see how we could direct people to places of safety. Some of the schools and community halls have been opened up
0: for those who have been displaced to now come in and find refuge. And we are working with our partners to ensure that these people have food, clothing for some of them that don't have any basic needs at the moment. We are trying to see how we could also rebuild some of the
2: infrastructure that has been damaged.
3: Some of those who've lost everything, including loved ones, had harsh words for the president and his colleagues. Tapelo Mohapi is secretary general of the Abakhlali Base
1: Mjondolo housing activist group. People are desperate and occupy land that is along the river banks because of the failure and the political will of the government to provide suitable land. People in the informal settlement in the townships in the low-cost housing, they are living on the banks. Their houses are, are just hanging, and anything from now on can happen if this rain continues. We've been here before. This is not the first time that we have been faced this situation, and we are calling upon everyone. He says
3: people across KwaZulu Natal have been warning for years of living under dangerous conditions, ripe for disaster.
1: Right now, the rain starts, and I'm looking up and I'm worried. Because in the community where I am, two informal settlements were washed away and people lost everything. People have no hope. So I understand the frustration and the anger that people have. Because they know very well that even if there is budget that is allocated to this disaster, it will not end up to the people on the ground.
3: Mohapi says corruption and mismanagement in many of the worst hit areas drained funds allocated to help victims of previous floods and he says the government isn't maintaining infrastructure, so heavy rains wash roads and other structures away. Representatives of the Office of the Provincial Premier say they will respond to Mohapi's criticism later, as they're busy helping people now. They are, however, adamant that KwaZulu-Natal's recent floods are largely as a result of climate change, and not because of government mismanagement. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg.
0: Every year on April the 7th, Rwanda kicks off the three-month commemoration period of the 1994 genocide that was perpetrated against the Tutsi. Commonly known as Kivuka or Remembrance, the period has always been marked by public gatherings until the COVID-19 pandemic hit two years ago and pushed events online. From Kigali, reporter Diana Iriza has a look at this year's commemoration.
5: This year, Kibuka 28 will be marked with in-person events as COVID-19 infections drop. Speaking to a cross-section of Rwandans, several people share what Kibuka means to them and its significance to them.
2: Ever since the COVID-19 pandemic started, this has been the first Kibuka for Rwandans to have uh, physical gatherings and commemorate the 1994 genocide that was perpetrated against the Tutsi. It definitely means a lot for Rwandans to come together and grieve together
6: Kibuka for me means uh remembering remembering so that we don't forget the our past we don't forget the lack of humanity that was displayed in our country that we saw in our country uh, during the 1994 genocide against tutsi so this time around as a random on the 28th uh, kwibuka for me it um we are continuing to fight the uh, um, genocide ideologies and uh, the spread of false information about the 1994 genocide against the tutsi so by doing that we are making sure to tell our own history we don't want to the other foreign countries to dictate or to tell our own history so by doing that as well we are educating the younger generation so that we don't forget where we came from. This
5: year's commemoration
6: is different
5: from last year's because COVID-19 restrictions have been eased, many people have already been vaccinated and now they're allowed to gather and share testimonies. In the 100 days of 1994, one million Tutsi people were massacred, Hutu extremists targeted members of the minority Tutsi community and their political opponents, irrespective of their ethnic origin. Today, Rwanda's core goals are to rebuild the country and to continue establishing unity among all Rwandans. For Daybreak Africa, I'm Dana Iriza in Kigali.
0: In a statement, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Linda Thomas-Greenfield said that, quote, as the people of Rwanda have paused for kwibuka 100 days of mourning to remember the 100 days of genocidal terror in 1994, we grieve for the innocent lives lost, adding that as a first-hand witness to the horrors, I'm determined to keep the memory of those who perished front and center in our work at the United Nations. The United Nations must never again fail to act in the face of mass atrocities, she said. The United Nations Refugee Agency and the government of Liberia will cease support to Ivorian refugees in Liberia as of June 30th of this year. That means the Liberian government, together with the UNHCR and its partners, will no longer be responsible for Ivorian refugees after the secession takes effect. From 10th January, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees has repatriated to Côte d'Ivoire over 8,000 individuals of the total planned figure of 10,000 in 2022. Rita Jogbedur witnessed the voluntary repatriation process of some Ivorian refugees in Liberia and has this report.
6: On April 6, 244 Avarian refugees, including men, women, and children from 46 households, were repatriated to Africa coast The convoy carrying the refugees and some UNHCR staff set off on a ferry from the Kavala River in northern Liberia. There were mixed emotions as some refugees who have spent close to 20 years in Liberia bid farewell to their host country, a good number of them have applied to be locally integrated into Liberia, because for them going back home will remind them of atrocities they experienced during the war. But others have still not decided whether to return, locally integrate, or apply for an exemption. One such person is Teodigu. She came to Liberia in 2010 with two children, a son and a daughter. She says her son died in 2011 at a local government clinic in Liberia as a result of wounds he sustained from one of the rebel forces while fleeing the Coast. Few years after the death of her son, Teody says her 17-year-old daughter Emanuela lost her sight to a severe skin disease called Stevens-Johnson syndrome as a result of medication taken to curb seizures. TOD says they cannot return under such conditions. Who am I going to, to help me for my daughter to see in the future? I'm locally integrated. Who going to help me for my daughter to receive her sign? I'm very confused. Corporal Marie 36 year old single mother of four says she cannot go back home because she is having flashbacks of atrocities she witnessed during the war. And on the other hand, she cannot locally integrate because she does not have the means to sustain herself in Liberia. The way I saw the killing out there, I'm afraid to go back. But if you enter it was they will take that hand from us and making me afraid. Unlike others, Junior DJ is happily returning home with his five children. Dijel says he came to Liberia in 2003, and going back home is a dream come true for him.
4: Nowhere like home. When we flew from the world and come in Liberia, we find it difficult to do contract. We sometimes go and request for a place to work, and sometimes take it from us because the story is not for us.
6: Addressing the media shortly before their journey. The UNHCR's Assistant High Commissioner for Protection, Gideon Trix, says her agency is working with the government of Liberia to ensure that those choosing to stay behind are given a residence permit. Madam Trix also says the UN Refugee Agency has ensured that those returning home have all the support needed to begin startups? They've been given an, an exceptional, large return package, and that is very unusual. We don't normally have the funds to do it in this level of generosity, but uh, but we're very pleased through our donors to be able to ensure that they have a significant sum of money uh, to buy some land, to uh, re-establish their families, to establish small businesses, uh, to build a house. So we very much hope that with the support of the government as well, they will they'll be able to rebuild their lives and again to. Continue tribute to their own communities. Avorians fled two civil wars, the first between 2002 and 2007, then later from 2011 to 2012. Thousands also fled to neighboring countries in 2020, fearing violence linked to the October 2020 presidential and parliamentary elections. Rita Jlawe, Duo for VOA News, Monrovia, Liberia.
0: A Human Rights Watch study in several African countries shows that child marriage and early pregnancies are key barriers to girls' education. In Tanzania, women's rights advocates welcomed a government decision in November of last year to reverse an earlier policy that barred pregnant girls and adolescent mothers from attending public schools. However, many say that the damage had already been done since figures from the country's Minister of Education show that over 4,000 girls had dropped out of school due to pregnancy. This is an issue we discuss in the second part of our conversation with Tanzanian education activist Devota Mle, director of the organization Girls' Livelihood and Mentorship Initiative, an organization that provides mentorship opportunities for secondary school girls in Tanzania. How do these type of... uh you know, policies, what many say are regressive government policies. How do they impact girls' education in the long term? Because even when they are reversed, the harm has already been done in some cases.
5: Yeah, I mean, for me, I think better something than nothing. So um, we're just hoping for the best in the future. Um, it we can not sit here and start thinking like, OK, what the damage has been done, um, we we can think of what can we do for those girls who have missed their education, but also now we are having better policies that are supporting in the future that girls can can be able to stay in school. They can be able to they have um, they'll be able to have more opportunity to get their education um than it was before.
0: Right, and my final question to you: There's been so many studies that show that. Even with some of these programs like the, the, the mentorship program that you're running and other initiatives that are targeting women or girls' education to reduce the gap in opportunities between girls and boys, uh, especially in the education sector, that th- there is still a, a lag and a gap. What are some of the reasons why some of these great initiatives are not able to bridge that gap? Is it a resource issue, or are there other social-cultural factors at play?
5: I'll, I'll, I'll say for me, it's about the social-cultural aspect of it. Uh, so um, it took so long for for girls to for this gap to be created. The gap has. Deep roots into the culture and the way of living, and changing that it, it's not something that can happen in a day. So um, also that also reflects to the uh, question to the issue of resources, because most of people who are investing in social change, they expect to see the the changes in like in no time. Like I'm investing in this, after three years, I want to see a very big difference. But when you're trying to to change culture to change perception of a um, majority of the community, that is not something that can happen in like a year or in two years. So I'll say that the culture is so deep and to change that, it takes time. And, and uh, so when you are trying to 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 measure that and to see the impact is not something that you can see immediately. So sometimes uh, people say it's not worth it to invest in, in programs that are changing the culture because uh, you don't see the the, the the impact right away.
0: That was Tanzanian education activist Devota Mle. She's the director of the organization Girls' Livelihood and Mentorship Initiative. Her organization provides mentorship opportunities for secondary school girls in Tanzania. The human rights groups and families in Nigeria are remembering more than 100 school girls still missing eight years after Islamic militant group Boko Haram seized 276 girls from the town of Chibok, north of the country. The groups are accusing Nigerian authorities of their inability to rescue the girls many years after they were taken. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja.
4: A new investigation by human rights group Amnesty International accused authorities of, quote, failing to protect vulnerable children by refusing to respond to alerts of impending attacks on schools. The report also accused authorities of unwillingness to investigate attacks and punish offenders. In April 2014, Islamic militant group Boko Haram struck a government girls' secondary school and kidnapped 276 students, more than 100 of them have either been freed through negotiations or escaped from their captors. Amnesty International's report said at least 16 out of the remaining 109 girls in captivity have been killed. Shewam Bakari is the group's spokesperson.
2: There has clearly been no improvement in the security situation in the country since Chibok, or at least in the northern part of the country since Chibok, And the fact that many more children have been kidnapped, has shown that the authorities have not learned anything from the abduction of Chibok
1: schoolgirls eight years ago.
4: Nigerian authorities are yet to respond to the allegations by the rights group, but authorities have repeatedly said they're taking action to secure the release of the girls. However, Alan Manessa, the spokesperson of the Chibok community, disagrees.
2: It's just unfortunate that uh, uh, we are here again and uh, it's eight years, and we are asking the same question. Nothing is being done. It's all about feeling of anger. It's all about feeling of frustration, dashed hope, and all. On a day like this, April 14, you will get a statement from a government saying, uh, "We are doing everything to rescue a girls." So it has become a normal, unusual rhetoric that
4: have no result. Amnesty International said attacks on schools have persisted and that about 1,436 school children have been kidnapped from schools across northern Nigeria since December 2020. The rights group said the upsurge has triggered prolonged school shutdowns, decline in school enrollment and attendance, as well as a rise in early marriages. On Thursday, the Bring Back Our Girls or BBOG movement, a group demanding the release of the girls since their abduction, held a lecture and prayer calling for their release. They say unless the girls are freed, their demands will continue no matter how long it takes. Timothy Obiezu from Fioe News, Abuja, Nigeria. (laughs)
0: And now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports. And with that, we go to Abuja, Nigeria with Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, Jackson. We begin
2: the sports in Kenya where world 10,000 meters bronze medalist Ronnie Skiburuto clinched the 10,000 meters title at the 10th edition of the National Police Service Track and Field Championships that were held on Thursday at the Moy International Sports Centre in Kasarani. The 10-kilometer world record holder clocked... 28 minutes 38.7 seconds to take the top honours and he was followed by Joseph Kiptoum who crossed the line in 29 minutes 006 seconds with Edward Bett closing the podium 3 finishes in 29 minutes 0.12 seconds. Staying with Kenya, Kenya's 2014 Commonwealth Games and Africa 10000 meters champion Joyce Chip Curie was banned for four years, dating back to 2019 on Wednesday for an athlete biological passport discrepancy. The 33-year-old long-distance runner had been provisionally suspended since July 2019 after anomalies in blood samples collected by World Athletics between 2016 and 2017. The Court of Arbitration for Sports said an appeal by World Athletics had been upheld with Chip Curie banned from June 2018. 8. 2019. In Boxing News Ghanaian Olympic bronze medalist Samuel Taki says he's ready to give a good account of himself when he makes his debut as a professional boxer against Kamaldin Buyefio in the super featherweight contest on April 15th at the Accra City Hotel. The 20-year-old fighter said he was convinced the decision to switch to former IBF welterweight champion Ike Quatri as his trainer will pay off in leading him to a world title glory. Oh, so, you know I like Bazuka first of all I will give him a very big thanks and you know he's a world champion not everybody who stay with him and anybody who I Bazuka Cote is him run away but I told myself I want to be a world champion so I stay and take all the training of I Bazuka so I'm ready In cricket news, Namibia will host their first cricket tri-series. The women's T20I tri-nation series will be played between April 20th and April 26th. Uganda and Zimbabwe women's cricket team have been invited for the series. The T20I tournament will be played in the three-stage round-robin format and the top two teams will feature in the finals. Martin Odenko is the CEO of Uganda Cricket Association. So we are going out there to see that we improve our ranking From the 19th position, but I believe that the team that has been assembled here today to go and represent Uganda, they actually know what we are going out there to do. In swimming news, all is now set for the Kana Zone 4 Swimming Championship to be held in Zambia from the 14th to the 18th of April 2022. 281 swimmers from 14 countries have so far confirmed participation. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you,
0: Jackson, in Washington. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington wishing you a great weekend.
5: Join me, Haiti Adams, on the next Straight Talk Africa. I'll have an exclusive interview with Wankele Mene, Secretary General of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, set to be the world's largest free trade zone. Plus, a new report reveals a link between the media's portrayals of Africa on the next Straight Talk Africa, this Wednesday at 18.30 UTC.
1: VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bobo music to hip live, bonga flavor to sucous, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 0905 and 2005 UTC, right after the international news.